Erin Garry, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to their no laughing matter moment in life. So I was like looking up and guessing email addresses for people in like Channel 4, UTV, or ITV, um, CNN in London, Sky News. And I would just email these people. Like what I said, to email them, can I call you for a quick chat? Let's discuss this, you know. Like I just spent that whole month because that was like my coping mechanism because otherwise I just didn't have any control over what was happening in my life. I was losing my job. Journalist and news correspondent Zara King is my guest this week. She talks to me about being an unruly chatterbox in school, how she'll always opt for a phone conversation over an email, and how a career move to London resulted in a swift U-turn to Dublin. This season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by Aussie Hair. Look, I'm not going to get into the business of telling you, dear listener, what to do. But summer is coming. We're getting some freedom back. It's time to get your hair in order. Aussie offers the ultimate miraculous conditioning solutions for your hair. The hero product being the iconic three minute miracle deep treatment. It truly rescues hair from being dry and damaged to healthy and hydrated in just three minutes. I even have some statistics for you. 75% of Aussie users are loyal and will not buy another treatment. It's just that good. You can check out more about Aussie on Instagram. They're at Aussie Hair. And now for my chat with Zara King. I hope you enjoy. Zara King, you are extremely welcome to the laughs of your life. Thank you very much, Darren. This is very strange. Now, I'm not going to give away where we live, but we we do live in the same (laughs) complex, if you will. Yes, yes, we do. So it's very, it's quite sad that we can't meet face to face, but I think we'll get there. I mean, we've all been making do and it'll be fine. I would love to be able to sit down with you and ask you about your makeup routine in person. (laughs) See the actual shadow and lashes in person, but we're going to have to do it. (laughs) We will do it another time. Definitely. Yeah. So we're neighbors. So Alva was the one who told me that we were neighbors actually. And then the minute I realized that we were neighbors, I was like, I need to meet that dog. I need to meet that dog. (laughs) I was like that dog because so Bert, so we have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel at home so Bertie is just like a throwback to my dog who's at home who I miss terribly and so I, I live with Richard Chambers like he said Richard have you seen Darren Gary's dog yet <laughs> he's like no and I'm like we need to meet this dog we need to be friends with the neighborhood dog <laughs> well to be honest Bertie now walks at fairly anti-social hours because I get up at the crack of dawn for for breakfast radio and I am like an elephant getting ready. And so I wake up Paddy and so he can't get back to sleep. So he usually walks him around the complex at about like six or half six. Okay. Wouldn't be out at that time myself, <laughs> but good to know. <laughs> Sarah, I'm so delighted to have you. It's very, it's funny, actually. I um, I, I need to, well, actually, do you know what? I won't give away who my other guests are, but I put up a thing the okay. other day saying, oh, I have a couple of guests booked. I have um, a sporting legend, a musical legend and a woman of the moment. And uh, you were kind of funnily replied. You're like, am I, do I have a musical talent that I, I haven't yet discovered? No, you, Zara, are my woman of the moment. Oh, thank you. Well, actually, I actually thought I was your sporting legend because I did a whole 10K walk the other day. And I was like, she must have heard about it, surely. <laughs> like my first like 5K out, 5K back walking, God knows how long. I was like, how does she know? Am I an athlete now? Is this what this is? <laughs> I love it. Okay, look, oh. it. we need to get down to business and, uh, okay. and do our thing because you are a very busy woman and you do need to have your finger on the pulse with all that's going on. So, Zara King, your first memory of laughter. 
Okay, so I should start by saying that I have a terrible memory. That's not great for this podcast. But I did spend the last couple of days obviously ringing loads of people and trying to figure out um, what I was doing. I think I actually have the most appalling memory, actually. But um, my first memory of laughter was probably when I was in play school. So I would have been, what, like that year before junior infants, why are you like three or something? And um, I'm an only child. So like, obviously, this is like my probably my first encounter with a bit of socialization with a good crowd. Like, do you know what I mean? And I was probably just enjoying the sort of interaction. Like I would have been that kid in the class where the teacher would have moved them because they were talking all the time. But like, I loved that opportunity to meet new people <laughs> by getting moved around the classroom. <laughs> kind of redundant because I was like how fantastic I've never sat beside Sarah before so you know I was always very kind of chatty and always a bit like that so um and I had this one particular day in play school I remember obviously in play school like your big gigs were like building blocks you know jigsaws like these were the big sort of like you know big ticket item coloring in loved the coloring in yeah but like every table would get a different activity like every day so it must have been our table's day to get like the jigsaws. And I knew my own limitations and I knew that the jigsaw wasn't my forte. And I just wasn't super into the jigsaw. So I just remember like standing up on the chair and I was really obsessed with Annie, the movie at the time. So I just started singing the song will come out tomorrow. And I just burst out loud. It was so funny. And I just sang the whole song and the whole place was laughing at me and the teacher was like absolutely howling. And she left me away with it. And then I tried to kind of do a few other songs from Annie. And she was like, that's enough now. We'll sit down. Thank you. But I didn't have to see the jigsaw. So I was delighted with myself. So I would say that's my first memory of kind of, you know, getting a laugh out of people and sort of like being funny. And, you know, I, I can't I can't remember anything before that. But that would definitely be my earliest memory, I would say. But also probably your earliest memory of being comfortable in front of a crowd, which is something that you obviously now um, have to have to be every single day. Yeah. But we'll, um, you know, we'll come back to that and all that's going on and, and, and your job and whatnot. But what was it like being an only child? Did you, did you, obviously you don't know any different, but did you have cousins that you would hang around with or neighbours or how was it? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. So I have a cousin, Kate, who was born nine days before me. So we're super, super close. And we went to school together and we rode horses together. And so we did everything together. I'm actually going to be her bridesmaid this summer, all going well. Um, So yeah, so like Kate and I were rare together and she has two sisters and a brother as well. So it was, you know, totally fine. And um, I have two cousins, uh, Robert and Jonathan, who are like kind of brothers. I think when you're an only child, like your relationships with your cousins do become like really meaningful to you. Um, like they have real siblings, so they're not as into it as you are. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just had loads of cousins. But you know, like I didn't really know any different, to be honest. Um, like it's funny, I think as I've gotten older, actually, like now in later life that I'm very like oh I love a brother or sister now and I always kind of harp on about it my mum actually said to me recently she's like I really wish you'd stop going on about that like it's you know like you know it's not like it wasn't for the want to try it didn't happen like I don't want to tell you like do you know what I mean and I was like right and I kind of forgot that like as much as I was sort of bemoaning the fact that I didn't have siblings clearly for my parents like you know they, that was obviously a whole thing for them and they had one child and it was great and listen how fulfilled are they by me I ask you but um <laughs> you know <laughs> I it was yeah it was great like you know I think when you're an only child as well like when you're the center of attention all the time you just end up being told all the time how brilliant you are like all kids are but I think you are just kind of constantly told how like unique and how special you are and stuff like I mean I'm not that great like but you know it was nice to have that level of sort of undivided focus I mean it's a lot of times but you know it is lovely really ultimately and I think anyone one of my closest friends is an only child and her friends are so unbelievably important to her 
And I yeah. and sometimes I kind of, I, obviously the grass is always greener and I'm, I feel so lucky to have two sisters and to have two older sisters to kind of guide me and, and direct me. But I do sometimes envy her and, and how her friends are, are so important to her and they are like sisters to her. Um, yeah. And so do you, do you have people like that around you and, you know, to this day? Yeah, definitely. So like Kate obviously is my cousin and then Jennifer is my best friend and Cloda as well. And they're all school friends I'd be really close to and like grew up with, went to college with. And I'm godmother to Jennifer's twins who are two, Hugo and Theo. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did a call with two of the girls last night and I just spoke to Cloda before I came on here because I like literally, you know, when you're so close to people, you're like, I feel like some of my memories are stored in their brain. So yeah. like I'm ringing them to be like, hi, like, do you remember a time when this happened? And they're like, Sarah, I can't believe you don't remember that. I'm like I just don't like I'm so bad but they're brilliant and they're like remember and we actually end up on the phone Kate and Jennifer and I last night for like four hours laughing because I was going on this podcast and like they oh, were really living yeah it was brilliant actually and they were going through the questions with me and they were like she's got and they were like you know you've got to answer it this way and they're brilliant they're brilliant so no we've been so close and likewise I have another co- uh, cousin Fiona who's like seven years older than me she lives in West Cork. So my mom is from Cork. My dad's Waterford. My grew up in Waterford. But we would have gone between, like I would have spent all my summers in West Cork and stuff. Um, so yeah, like I just had really close relationships with like kind of cousins and friends who I'm still very close to now. And yeah, totally. Like they're your, they're your anchor, aren't they? I mean, they're the people that kind of, you know, like I felt actually after the call with the girls last night, we hadn't done that for ages because of the pandemic and stuff. Like you're obviously texting in a WhatsApp group or whatever. But I actually felt like lifted this morning when I got up after having that call with those girls. And I actually, anyone who's listening to this, and I'm like, I'm not being preachy about it, but I actually feel like for me personally, it was the lift I actually needed because it's been really tough for everyone, you know? Um, and sometimes just kind of reliving those ridiculous moments from like way back when is lovely to remember that, you know? Well, on that, the first time you felt laughed at, Sarah. <laughs> my mum was like don't tell this story there and I was like no it's fine it's fine <laughs> so um again it would have been probably maybe I'd say like maybe first class in school so obviously everyone in Ireland every Irish girl has to do Irish dancing lessons like I was absolutely all about the dresses and the style and the whole lot didn't have the skills to go with it whatsoever but had the enthusiasm you know what I mean <laughs> so uh sister Maureen who was the principal of the school would do the Irish dancing lessons after school and I would go to the lessons I was absolutely useless like but I really liked it and it was a really nice little pastime I was only in it now a couple of short months and there was a fete on one Sunday in like the Butler community hall and I my mum brought me down to the fete and we got the new dress and the hair had been in the curlers the night before and it was big excitement and I was so enthusiastic that uh, when all the kids were queuing up to get on the stage in their little different dance schools to do their dances I just like scuttled up the stairs with a group of other kids and so like it wasn't until I was on the stage and the music had started that I realized that everyone else around me had a blue dress on and I had a green dress on and I was like no I'm not meant to be I'm not meant to be here and so the music has started and they started dancing and I don't know what I don't know this dance I didn't know my own dance anyway so it probably didn't really matter so I'm literally now have decided to just run with it so I just decided to do a bit of a solo run. So I was just doing the one, two, threes in between all these kids. And they were all in a proper line, like doing their thing. The whole hall erupted in laughter. The whole place was laughing at me. My mum was like, oh my God, get her out of here. Oh my God, my mum was mortified. There was people, there was like an adult trying to grab me to pull me off the stage. <laughs> and I just kept skipping faster until we got to the end of the song. And at the it. very end, I had the audacity to give them a bow. It was shocking. Like my mum was like, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. She was like, you had no shame whatsoever. So the whole place was laughing at you. And I was like, I know so uh 
after that then so Kate was a really good Irish dancer very talented went on to dance for years after that that was my first and last fish um the dress only really got an outing around the house after that um and literally my mom was like we're, go- we're gonna head home now I'm gonna take her home like literally everyone was like get this child out of here she's an absolute lunatic so yeah I remember everyone laughing at me and I remember being really embarrassing but then I also remember kind of not caring because it was so funny I love that you committed yeah. to it and stayed there yeah, I was like, Do you know what? I'm here now. I have the dress on. The hair is done. I'm just going to keep it lit. Like, I didn't know my own dance with my group anyway. So I was like, Do you know what? I might as well just lean into this. It's completely fine. The beauty of live <laughs> performance. You either crumble or you just rise to it. And did rise you, to it. Did you remember that one or did your friends have to remind you of that one? I'd no, I remembered that one actually. Because I that was actually probably so embarrassing, to be honest. I did remember that one. So Because even when I remember that one and I related to my mum, she was like, that's quite embarrassing. I don't know, would you tell people that? And I was like, no, it's fine. She's like, but you had no shame, Sarah. And I said, I know. <laughs> and then in, in, in terms of, I suppose, like performance in general. So obviously your job now isn't performance, but in a way it is. Like you, you, you are performing. You're a version of yourself when you're on TV. At what point did you know or think you knew that you might want to pursue a career in, you know, performing in a way? Well, I suppose I didn't actually, I suppose I didn't really think of it as performing, actually. I got what I always wanted to work in news. So growing up, like we had obviously like news was on all the time on TV and stuff. And we like the newspapers were in every day and they're being read cover to cover in the house and stuff. So I kind of grew up around that real environment where there was just real appetite for current affairs in my home growing up. And my grandmother would like have Sky News on 24-7 at her house and stuff. So I always had a real interest in news. And I suppose as a child, I always looked up to people like news reporters and correspondents as like my heroes when I was a kid. So um, I think I kind of always wanted to do this, which sounds a bit mad. I think a lot of people don't know what you want to do with your life. Like I definitely went through a couple of years, like most kids, where I wanted to be a vet for a few years because I was so into the horses and everything. But then obviously I realized you'd have to have the science bit. And I was like, no, forget that. Done. Have to put the animals down. Not happening. Um, so I always wanted to do this actually. And my mom always says that like, I used to be so annoying when people would come into the house because we had a video camera and stuff. And I would like interview people when they would come into the house. And she was like, you were always like, sorry, came reporting for Sky News from every sun holiday we went on. Like I was a really annoying child. Like I was an only child. So I was like, trying to entertain myself. Like, do you know what I mean? So you can imagine I was dreadfully precocious and probably an absolute pain in the arse. But, um, but yeah, I kind of always knew. And then when I was 15, I went in and worked in the local radio station in WLR in Waterford on my transition year work experience. And then I just kept going back there after school the whole way through the end of transition year and even into fifth year. I used to just pop in there for an hour after school and I'd like make tea for everyone and like do Vox Pops for the newsroom. I just wanted to be around in case like an opportunity came up and it did eventually. So, you know, I was always just really kind of... um I knew like I was a talker and I knew like if I could get a job that would pay me to talk and tell stories, like I'd be on to a winner. And I did in the end. So that was kind of nice. I think it's, you cannot underestimate the importance. And I'd say people are sick of hearing this. Like I I would often get messages from people saying, how do I start in broadcasting? How do I, you know, and and my answer is just always just get in the door in in whatever way you can. And it must be such an annoying thing to hear. And I know it's an annoying thing to hear because I was told the same thing. But it is so it's true. It's so true though. Yeah, it's like so you true. Say, you know, hanging around, waiting to do a Vox Pop. Like my very yeah. first, my very first opportunity to cover 
on a, a show. So I was doing the ent- entertainment news and I hadn't actually ever done my own show. Um, but luckily for me, when I started, a new boss started as, as well. So he didn't really realize how much experience I did or didn't have. So there was Brilliant. someone someone called in sick and he was like, who would like to fill in for so-and-so? And uh, and I was like, uh, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Hadn't a clue what I was doing. But it is, yeah, it's just a case of, of flinging yourself into it and you, you just have to and I suppose would that be your advice as well to anyone who say has been not only watching you throughout the pandemic but but seeing you on you know on your way up you know if there's if there's someone who wants to get into news or into journalism like it's you know is that just the way to go you just have to throw yourself into it yeah definitely and I always say to people as well like recently for International Women's Day I was asked this question loads of times as well and like the one thing I say to people is like pick up the phone and make a phone call like I think like sending emails is great but a follow-up phone call is like so important because I think there's actually a whole generation of people now who are afraid to make phone calls because we've lived in such a digital space where we send emails and we send DMs and we can connect on like social media and stuff whereas there's nothing beats like it's the new pressing the flesh and the absence of close contact is picking up the phone and making a call or like asking somebody can I call you to talk this talk about this further and get more information from you like do you know that was kind of like I always felt like that was the best way to make a connection because someone would remember you if they'd spoken to you whereas they get dozens of emails every day and they're not necessarily going to remember you from an email whereas if you're the person that rang them it's like oh that person has gumption you know and also I think when you're a journalist like I mean like everything the hustle is on the phone every day like I'm on the phone the whole time ringing people hustling people looking for someone to talk to me answer my questions you know like phone calls is my number one top tip in life is pick up the phone and ring someone I don't know how you do it I get the fear of God and I, I feel like I'm a plague on people's lives but you just <laughs> have to have that you ha- like yeah you, have to. you do and I think as well you know like I always think as well sometimes you know when you get nervous and stuff and like you're really nervous you have to remember that the person receiving the call isn't nervous receiving the call do you know what I mean it's like you have to try and rationalize it in your own mind even sometimes when I'm like standing there about to go on air and I don't get that nervous anymore but there might be days where something big is happening and I'm like I have to like stop for a second and remember that people at home just want the information they're not nervous watching me so why am I nervous telling them do you know what I mean that's how I try and rationalize these things in my mind it's I swear on my life it's going to sound like I'm stealing what you're saying, but I, I teach speech and drama or like I did, you know, pre-pandemic. I obviously haven't been able to do it. But what I often say to the kids when, when they're going to do a fetch or some kind of, of a performance, I'll say, you know, it might if you're scared to get up on stage and to be in front of these people, you have to remember they want you to do well. They want yeah. you to be good and they don't want to feel like you're not enjoying yourself. So you, you have to remember that. I know it's not totally. the same thing, but it's a similar. It is. No, it is the same thing. It's totally the same thing. Yeah. And you have to, I suppose, give people the benefit of the doubt. They don't want you to trip up. No, not at all. They're there to enjoy that performance. Like they've come, they bought a ticket, they're here. They're giving you their time, their most precious thing, you know. So they, they're there because they want you to do well, which is nice. So, but likewise, you know, with the picking up the phone thing, I just think make that connection call a person like I get loads of emails all the time from people I probably get loads more now after I say this but like <laughs> you know people will, will contact you to be like oh can I ask your advice and I'm like absolutely I'm happy to give anyone advice but sometimes I don't have time to like probably the same as you have to write an email back to someone because that's that's really time consuming to to write out a kind of a response whereas like I actually would happily take a 10 minute call with somebody and be like hello let's chat let's slide through this for 10 minutes and talk about what you're thinking and let me like try and help you work through whatever you're like I think a call is just I think, I don't know how I've just got, just in the last few weeks I've realised nobody makes phone calls anymore, which is kind of mad. I know. I'm like, ring people, it's brilliant. And don't even talk to me about voicemails. When I get a text to say I have a voicemail, I'm like, oh my God, someone's <laughs> dead. Someone's dead. 
completely like so if you ring someone and they don't answer the phone don't leave a message <laughs> send them a text being like hey it's Zara please call me back <laughs> you know <laughs> oh I love it okay right oh, okay Zara King the moment when if you didn't laugh you'd cry if I didn't laugh I would cry um oh yeah so this was like so this moment was like I wouldn't say this is a devastating moment now we'll move on to devastation next right but I, this was actually something that in 2016, I was working at UTV Ireland and I was sent to cover the Euro 2016 football tournament in France. Now, I know nothing about soccer or football or whatever you call it. I don't know if you call it football, do you call it soccer? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So when I got given this assignment, obviously everyone in the newsroom was like, why are we sending Zara to the Euro? I myself was like, I'm not the right person for this job. So um, the, the thinking behind it was that I wasn't going to cover the sport. I was going to cover the fans and the colour and to kind of get the atmosphere. And I was going to do reports on all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> which I was like, yeah, people, I can do people. That's fine. I'm good at that. That's fine. So we headed over to France, myself and Conan Doyle, my cameraman. And like these trips are always like the flight is always six o'clock in the morning. The days are always going to be like 20 hour days filming. Like you're always feeding into every programme, the news. Like it's a very demanding <clears throat> sort of thing. And like, any little bit of downtime that you have to sleep is like so vitally important because you need to get like four hours so that you can actually function the next day. So it was like our first day there. We had come in on like a 6 a.m. Ryanair flight into Paris and we had been at like Stade de France and we've been filming some kind of stuff there. And then we were back and forth. And then when the match was on, we had gone over to Mamart <clears throat> to do like um, some stuff with the fans who were watching the match in an Irish bar. And that was all fine. And so we were in there. So we parked the rental car outside the irish fire and went in and we were filming them watching the match and we were chanting we were doing lives into the news on the ground <laughs> and we were really tired like we were starving we we're so tired so we knew that like when we got back to the hotel we had to, we had like maybe four hours to sleep and then we had to be up again the next morning and we were getting on the road to bordeaux i think at the time and i think the road trip was like eight hours or something and anyway, it was ridiculous but i think it was more than eight. anyway so we needed the sleep right so we came out of the pub after filming the match and the car was completely blocked in by 30,000 Irish football fans who had all gathered like in Mamar to take over the street. Like we couldn't get the car out. Oh, and Jesus. I so, I was so tired. And we were, I was like, how are we going to get out of here? And he was like, oh, I can't get the car out. And I was like, can we just leave the car here? He was like, oh. no, we can't leave the car here because it's a rental car. We have like the camera, all the equipment, like everything. <clears throat> and I actually I swear to god it was one of those moments where like I may actually have a cry now like it was so I was like I may just have a bit of a cry and I think I might have had a little teeny tiny tear came down because I was like we have to be somewhere else in five hours and we're gonna have no sleep and I was like so traumatized and what could you do like what could you do <clears throat> so like we literally like got into the car and he was like oh I think I can get it out down here right and I was like okay right so we get into this car and he drives to the bottom of the road and it was a dead end it was a wall no. <laughs> like no no I was like we can't so in the end like Conan is so funny in the end Conan was like if you can't beat him we're gonna have to join him so we just had to like get out of the car and we were like grand so we just like got a diet coke and just started like going around the crowd with these 30,000 Irish football fans which by the way were great crack <laughs> Oh, I thought, well, we won't sleep, but it's a memory. And actually, it was funny because then while we were there and we were chatting to like different people, um, we ended up meeting this, this group of lads who had like gotten this bus that they had turned into like a camper van and they were just like great characters. Like, and like they were the kinds of stories that I was actually looking for while we were there. So we ended up getting a story like while we were there and we met these lads and they were 
in flying form. And your mom's like, we're at this campsite. Here's my number. Here's the campsite we're at. We'll see you tomorrow. Come out to us in the morning. We were like, great. So we took their name and number. We were like, grand, we'll go to them in the morning before we get on the road to Bordeaux or whatever, grand. And um, in the end, we had to try and get the car out. There was still, like, it was like two or three hours later, right? We were driving through the crowd and there was people banging on the on the roof of the car and, like, shaking the car. No. I think I have a video, actually, on the phone that was terrifying, but it was so funny. So then the next morning, we get off anyway to go out to this campsite, this group of lads. So I ring your mom, the say his name is Tommy. And I'm like, hey, Tommy, it's Zara here from UTV. We're on our way out to you. And he was like, Jesus, where did I meet you? <laughs> and I was like, like I met you last night at the thing and he was like did you where did you get my phone number from I was like you gave me your phone number I was like I'm the journalist we're coming out to film the story I was like we're just 10 minutes from the campsite the lads were dying of a hangover literally like they were like after giving their phone number to a television journalist they completely forgotten about it and we like landed out and filmed a whole story with them they were so brilliant and they were literally making like sausages on a barbecue the next morning. Like, do you want a few sausages? <laughs> I was like, no, we're fine. Thank you. We'll the dream. That's the dream though. They're the exact people you would have wanted. Oh, they were brilliant. Like they were absolutely fantastic. Like, so um, yeah, it was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, this is hilarious, but also I want to cry. <laughs> did you get any, did no, you get, I, I can't cope with the thoughts of not getting enough. Uh, well, I don't get enough sleep generally, but if I don't get, like you have to get the four hours. Like, did you get? Did yeah, you get no, no. Like we literally like had time to go back and have a shower and get out, like wash your hair and like, you oh. know, do new makeup and go out the door. Like so we, we drove to Bordeaux the next day, but then Shepard Conan had to drive the whole way because he didn't trust me to, to drive in France and not kill us. So it was like, we, he was kind of like, we'll, we'll share the journey. And then eventually I think he was like, let's, I'll just do all the driving um so I slept a little bit on the road trip but I uh, look these things are always like that but it was a great life experience to do it you know it's not like going to the Euros is not something that like I would have done in my free time you know in general so to do something like that I think was was pretty good Zara King your no laughing matter moment in life so my no laughing matter moment um was I was working as I said at UTV Ireland and I was there for two years and I loved that job. It was, you know, brilliant. We were all young, enthusiastic. It was a start-off. We were really excited. But unfortunately, no one was really watching it. I mean, some people were watching it, but not loads of people were watching it. And towards the end, so towards the end of the second year, I suppose it kind of became really clear to us that, like, things weren't really going great. And we were all told at the start of the December that year, 2016, that we were going to be made redundant. And I suppose for me, having kind of gone through college, through a recession, come out of college, gotten a full-time job in news, I'd worked in radio. Like I had gotten through probably one of the toughest times in the country economically and still managed to keep myself in a job and still managed to work. And I couldn't believe that I was kind of finding myself in a situation where like I was being made redundant. I was, how old was I? I was probably about 25 or 26, you know? And it's funny because I always say like, I'm an optimist. I always believe that things are really going to work out. And then when you're an optimist and things don't work out, it's like a bigger land because you really didn't see it coming, yeah. you know, because you're obviously so kind of, yeah. So I did find that really, really difficult to have to say. And when it all happened as well, it was really clear that there wasn't going to be jobs for all of us at TV3. So TV3 was taking over YouTube Ireland at the time. And there was only going to be like kind of one or two jobs. And it was really clear that like one of them wasn't going to be for me. So I just had to kind of figure it out. I mean, I remember kind of saying instead of wallowing in it, my attitude was like, right, let's try and find alternative options. So I started like going online and looking up like names of news editors and producers in the UK. 
So I was like looking up and guessing email addresses for people in like Channel 4, UT or ITV, um, CNN in London, Sky News. And I would just email these people. Like what I said, email them. Can I call you for a quick chat? Let's discuss this, you know. Like I just spent that whole month because that was like my coping mechanism because otherwise I just didn't have any control over what was happening in my life. I was losing my job. And um, yeah, it was really, really difficult. Um, and I remember that Christmas kind of, we didn't know. So they told us that it was closing down at the start of December. And then we were actually closing at the end of the first week in January. So we still had to go back after Christmas to do one more week. And that whole Christmas, I just remember being like so devastated that like things had been like, I had gotten so far in my career at 26, like, and I thought, oh, well, like, I can't believe it's just going to be over now. And I have no control over like what's going to happen next. And it was, yeah, it was really tough. I think you do have these moments then where you're like, oh my God, am I even like in the right thing? Should I have a change of career? Like, what am I doing? You know, I think that's really normal to feel that way. But in the same breath, I was trying to be like really proactive and really positive. So, and I'm glad I did cope with it that way, actually, because like even with hindsight now, I think it's the best thing that I could have done because basically then we went back to work that first week in January and it was really, really tough. And we had the very last program and everyone was bawling and it was, because we were really close, like we were a really close team and everyone was like, it was brilliant. It was such a good two years because I had left radio and gone into YouTube Ireland. And like, so I basically learned everything I needed to learn in two years when probably very few people were watching, which is probably a good way to learn. Yeah. Um, but we were all really close and we had this lovely vibe going and we would, you know, like we would go out on Friday nights together and stuff. Like it was a nice young team of people. So I was devastated and I went to London like two days later and I was in this hotel in London, like on my own. And I was going back and forth to meetings in Grayson Road, which is where the ITN building is, where they have, so Channel 4 is in the basement. Um, ITV is kind of in the middle. And then they've got like Channel 5 on the top floor. And I was just like going into meetings. All, I was like, somebody just give me a job. <laughs> like I need a job. And I was there about three days. And just as like luck would have it, uh, TV3 called me and said, we have a maternity contract. Somebody's literally going on maternity leave next week. Uh, can you start on Monday? And I was like trying to be casual about it. And I was like, yeah, see you Monday. Cool. Book to flight home. <laughs> I was like, I'll be back Monday. <laughs> You're like, well, actually, I have a meeting with like, some well, high actually, flying. <laughs> I'm here in London. Uh, no, actually, grand see you Monday. <laughs> and, so. and do you do you ever wonder what could have been or what, you know, how your life could be now if something had worked out over there? Or do you, do you even bother looking um, back? No, well, I mean, like, I didn't totally give up on it straight away after that, to be honest. Like, I was still kind of going back and forth to London for the first probably for the first year that I worked at TV3 because I was on a maternity contract as well, I remember. So I didn't know for definite if I was going to be like permanent or whatever. So um, I was kind of trying back and forth for a while. And like I had gone over to Channel 4 News and done a couple of days like shadowing different correspondents there and stuff, which I really loved and I really, really enjoyed. But it was clear to me that like in order for me to get a, a big opportunity in the UK, I was going to have to like pack everything up here and go and move and be there. Like, I remember one news editor saying to me, like, Zara, I can't, like, even offer you freelancing work till you live here. Like, you need to kind of take the leap. And I just wasn't, I actually wasn't prepared to take the leap at that time because I had just been through so much having, like, lost the job at UTV Ireland. I didn't feel like, I just didn't feel brave enough at that time, if I'm honest, to just pack in this maternity contract that I had at TV3 and then go to London and kind of, like, sit in a flat in London and wait for a call for two shifts a week somewhere. Like, I couldn't do that, you know? So, and like my mom always kind of says to me, what's for you doesn't pass. So I have no regrets about that really, because 
there wasn't anything solid for me to really go for you know it would have been different I think if like someone had said to me we can guarantee you you know three reporting shifts a week like just come and I would have been like yeah fine I'll figure that out but there was never any solid opportunity or solid offer so no I think like not really and it's funny because you know what I did for a while think like oh I really wish I'd moved and like I would have been 26 27 around that time and I kind of was like I should have gone but now that the pandemic has happened Darren actually I think to myself sometimes if I had been in London now and like so far from home in many ways I think I would have found it really really difficult to be in London on my own right now so it's only now this year in the pandemic that I've really been like you know what I'm actually very grateful for the job I have here in Dublin so yeah it all happens for a reason it does yeah this might seem like a very basic question but do you do you feel like you're a very career oriented person um, yeah, I think I am. Like, I think I am. I think I love what I do. I love my job. You know, I don't uh, like I've never so lucky to say that I've never had a day where I've gotten up and been like, I don't want to go to work. And that sounds a bit weird, but I just I really love my job. I love my I love telling people stories. I love interviewing people. I love asking questions. I love chasing down things. I love the thrill of making those calls, that hustle, that, you know, everything about what I do. I feel like I was you know I'm in the right job I think I you know so yeah I probably am very I'm probably a bit too career, career orientated sometimes I probably have like neglected my personal life if I'm honest a, lo- a lot of times like I've said before like I didn't go on a day one and stuff because I always wanted to be working in the radio station in the summer and I was always like oh, I have this really good opportunity here and if I leave like I mightn't get back in and you know and I was and I loved it so I never really wanted it so when the girls were going on the J one and I wasn't going every year that would go by like maybe I should go on the J1 next year and I just I never really wanted it because I loved what I was doing and I loved working in radio during the summers and stuff so yeah I probably am I wonder, no but there's a reason I ask you that question because I feel yeah. I, I see a lot of myself in you but I want to mm. because I Lovely. was I know I was so I was so similar I used to be afraid to take annual leave and when I worked in Spim 038 yeah I would miss cover because I, I was yeah. doing the entertainment bulletins and I wanted to do my own show I used to actually have the fear, like I would never go away for more than a week. I was like, what if I go for two weeks, I could I could miss a big chance. Yeah, same. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I mean, and that's kind of <clears throat> I suppose like media jobs are kind of like that. You yeah. know, like it is very much like you have to be there and you have to say yes and figure out how you're actually going to do it later. You know, a lot of it is just like, you know, can you cover the shift? Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm and supposed also, to be at someone's wedding, but like I'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. yeah I, I, it's my sister's <laughs> wedding, but I, I'll make it work. It's yeah, fine. And, and also, you know what? Things don't actually change very often in media. Like, you know, say, for example, yeah. if a new show, if a new radio show starts, the idea is that that will bed in over the next couple of years and it won't change. So when things do change, you have to be ready and you have to have your demo ready and you have to be in like a shot yeah. and, and be available. So I think that's probably part of it. It's, it's, I don't know if it's the same in other industries, but definitely, you know, in what you do and I suppose in what I do. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think just like being available and being kind of ready. And I think as well, um, that work ethic does stand to you eventually. And But look, I think as well, like you have to love it to have that work ethic. Do you know what I mean? Like as in, if you don't love what you do, you're not going to want to do it all the time. You know, like you're not going to want to. And even like this past year, like every day for us work-wise has been like an 18 hour day. But I, sometimes I'm like, look, this is what I do and I love it. So it's not, it's not a big deal, you know? Okay, well, look, talking about downtime and you do have to have a bit of that to stay sane. Who is the person you always laugh with, Sarah? So I have loads of people that I laugh with because I, I do laugh a lot, actually. Um, and But the one person I have to say and I have to give credit to her is my mom because 
my mom is just so funny during like but she's funny in a very like she doesn't know that she's funny like she's yeah. so witty like she texted me on Monday and she said Zara uh, I have to read it and I'm messing my phone and I'm using my phone she said like Zara I want to report Robin the dog the King Charles I'd like to report Robin to Ronan Glynn he's mixing with a lot of houses <laughs> what do you mean what do you mean mom said he was out there now and he's been playing with Coco Teddy Molly and Holly three households on note I was like what is she talking about like she's not and then she, like the dog will come in <clears throat> like dad will take the dog out for a walk and he'll come in mom is like a lunatic she's like washing his paws washing his face and she's like who were you talking to out there what did I tell you about social distance like to the dog like she's so funny like she just cracks me up she's so witty like my parents are just they're very funny like and they kind of bounce off one another like they're just totally gas she uh like she'll just text me like she texted me a while ago a picture of the washing line and she's like here's my career highlight today <laughs> washing like what so my mom was a stay-at-home mom like and so she's just like these are my career highlights like she's just very funny I can't even think of other like she's just gas like she's just lots of the funniest things and she's just real great for the one-liners and very dry sense of humor like it's lovely though my nana god rest her used to say when she come down to our house she'd be like God, nothing works in this house, only Frank. <laughs> ah, love it. Because my mom would just be breaking everything, like, which is hilarious. So definitely, I think my mom, my parents in general, but my mom is just so funny. Is your mom, is she like a typical Irish mammy in that she's ridiculously proud of what you do or does she kind of take it in her stride or does she love for people to say oh, Sarah was looking fab last night oh my god Sarah's playing a blinder <laughs> like like what yeah like she's so funny there and like she pretends like it's oh she's like oh I just can't go through the supermarket now I mean tonight we're kicking out the dun down there now I'm like why not she's, oh I met so and so that used to teach in school and she was saying she saw you on the news and I said you're Usher we're sick of looking at her and I'm like you're not like you're such a liar and she's like oh oh she's listening she's wrecked <laughs> I'm like she's so funny she loves it like she totally loves it and she loves like she'll go down to Arkeen stores the local supermarket in Waterford and she like will go down the aisle chatting to everyone and she loves it so yeah no she's gas like she yeah she does love it and I think it's nice for her because it's been really like we're really close like obviously I'm an only child so like we miss each other tremendously like I haven't seen her now since Christmas um but she's been brilliant like I have to say I'm I'm really like you know proud of how resilient like she has been in all of this as well because like her all her family are in Cork and stuff and I'm in Dublin and like obviously like, she has dad and everything but like you know she hasn't seen a lot of us in such a long time it is hard it's quite isolating you know how has it been for you like you mentioned earlier on you live with Richard Chambers like is that I'm yeah. sure that's an intense situation with you both doing the jobs you do or do you are you like passing ships or what way does it work Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, like we're very close, obviously. Like he's one of my best friends and we've been friends for like eight years. We worked together at News Talk years ago. So, do you know, it's great in a lot of ways there because I feel like we totally understand it's a very shared experience because we both have the same job and the same situation, live in the same house. So it's like, you know, he's like a brother to me, I suppose, in a lot of ways too. And that we're just kind of going through very much shared experience. But it's it's good crack. I mean, listen, Richard is very lighthearted as well. He's very witty, like he's very funny like we'll do a kitchen disco impromptu like I could be cooking on a Saturday night and he's just putting the tunes on and it's lovely like you know and we need a bit of that as well to just kind of switch off and he's been brilliant for like you know he'll go on the big walk in the Phoenix Park like and we'll go on a big walk and get a coffee and come home and that kind of stuff so we're doing all that kind of stuff in terms of downtime but it's hard like his partner lives in West Cork and they haven't seen each other obviously since Christmas and his family are in Dublin but they're outside our 5k so it's hard for him as well to try and and try and manage all that too so um but yeah, look, we're getting there. I think everyone has their moments, don't they? Like, I mean, 
it's funny I think like the smallest thing can kind of upset you in the pandemic like you could be tipping along fine and then one tiny thing will happen and it'll upset you and I think we all have those moments like I've said it before like there was one day I was like walking in the park on my own and I just started crying because I was like oh my god like I'm still on my own in the middle of a big park ridiculous like I was fine a week later but it's just you know I think we all have these kind of high and low moments in the pandemic and that's totally fine you know I suppose in your job you you probably do become desensitized to you know tragic news or you know massive news breaking news that's you know people don't want to hear but a you know a year into the pandemic how are you feeling do you like can you believe it's been a year how have you coped with all that's gone on are you kind of like what the hell was that um, I think now at this stage, like I've I've adjusted to like what I hate that word new normal. Like I think we've all kind of had to just get on with it a little bit. But um, it took me probably the year to get used to this new normal, you know. So, like, I don't think you ever get used to. I've said this so many times before, but you'll never get used to the amount of people in our country who are dying every day from this virus. Like it's a very serious thing, and like as a journalist, you have to be professional and you have to like. I have to get on with that and there has to be a certain level of professionalism in terms of that but on a human level of course I'm I'm absolutely heartbroken for the families at the center of those cases and for not just the people whose families have died but people whose businesses are closed who um have been sick and who are now suffering long-term issues from COVID so you're always mindful of that and I think um you know when you mentioned about kind of as a journalist you become desens- you do become desensitized to a degree but I think actually for me personally the thing that I take pride in is that I continue to care about every single story I work on and I don't allow it can be very easy sometimes as a coping mechanism to go okay okay grand you know I'm above this I'm not going to get upset about this and you shouldn't get upset about it at work obviously but I think we have to care like the first thing page one stuff is caring about the people that you're reporting on the stories you're working on you have to have that empathy and that compassion so I would say that I'm used to the work I'm doing now like in the beginning it was very shocking very shocking in the beginning um and so while I'm used to it I wouldn't say I'm totally desensitized to it I would say that I'm still very I still find it very sad like that you know I still I still find it because even now I think even when you report on like one person died that's one family that's still going through that on that particular day so um yeah it's been it's been a an absolute roller coaster of a year okay Zara on a lighter note if laughter yeah. wasn't the best medicine what would be so I thought about this one for a good while. Do you know, I think it would be time spent with my friend's children, actually. Oh my so, God, I love that. Yeah, I have to say, when I thought about it, I was like, what actually, Just I just love it. Like I, my godson, Hugo, and his twin brother, Theo, are just, they are a medicine, like time spent. And she'll send me, Jennifer will send me videos of them doing the most ridiculous things. And they're so brilliant. And they're just like, they bring such joy. And like Matthew, my cousin, Robert, and his wife, Anna, live in Sweden. And baby Matthew is a year and a half. And like just getting videos and photos of him and the time that I've spent with them has just been the best medicine. They're like, you know, I know you have nieces and a nephew yourself. So you'll understand. Like, again, because I know each other don't have nieces and nephews. So these people, these are my, these are my nephews. Yeah. Um, I just, do you know, Darren, like, are you probably saying, like, seeing the world through their eyes is so magnificent because they don't have a clue what's going on. And it's lovely. It's refreshing. It's everything that you need right now is to see things through their eyes. Totally. Oh my God. The FaceTimes and, and the WhatsApp uh, video calls with them are just, they're the light, the light of my life at the moment. Okay. Yeah. 
Zara, our quick fire round. The- oh, okay, God, now hold on. I'm not ready for this yet. Too Get fast. My notes. Too fast. Oh my gosh. Okay. The actor you always laugh at. The actor, uh, again, thanks to Claudia for the phone call today. We had a great laugh. Uh, <laughs> Colomini. Colomini could say anything and it would crack me up. Love him. That's an amazing one. I don't think we've ever had so that funny. Okay, so funny. The, the actress you always laugh at. Will be Maggie Smith because uh, the Downton Abbey stuff. Oh! She's so funny. Like, girl, she is the one-liner queen. Like, she's phenomenal. Love her. Sarah, Love her. that is a stunning answer. Again, no one said her and she is the queen. She's the queen. She's the Isn't queen. It, wasn't it her that was like, what is a weekend? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, aren't you living for the day when you're like so above what is a weekend? Like, it's amazing. <laughs> okay. The, the movie you always love it. So again, uh, because of the column meeting, I think The Snapper is probably the movie that cracks me up the most. Yeah. Love the humor in The Snapper. Like, you know, it was just a classic. It's an Irish classic. It's just, you know, the minute you put it on, the jokes never get old. It's so good. Amazing. The comedian you always laugh at. So I had a few of these now. I had a few people in mind. Um, obviously, I was reared very much on the Pat Short, the Unbelievables. Like, I think that was our age. Our parents would have gone to all the shows. I'm sure you're the same. And so I loved the Unbelievables, loved Pat Short. Um, Deirdre O'Kane is a queen. Like, I mean, love her. Like, like love her so much. And it, when I started in TV3, actually, have we time to tell another story? Or are you running out of time now? No, go on. When I, when I started in TV3, my friend Denise McNamara is a series producer of the Six O'Clock Show and Deirdre O'Kane was a presenter with Martin King at the time on the Six O'Clock Show and Denise used to live next door to me so I used to call her Denise next door, right? So I was then having coffee with Denise next door and I was like, I can't believe Deirdre O'Kane is presenting on your show. Like, you know, I loved her like when I was growing up and she, Denise was like, oh, Deirdre sounds. Yeah, like she's lovely. And I was like, I just loved her. Like, and I, she's like, oh, she can tell and say hello to her next week when you're in the office. And I was like, oh my God, will I? Okay. So I was in the open plan office and Denise was like beckoning me to come down and say hello to Deirdre. And I was like, oh, God. by the time I got down there, Denise had told her the whole story about how I loved her. Like it was so embarrassing. And Deirdre like is drooled down and was like, I heard you're a big fan. So I was like, trying to be really, I was trying to be real like over oh, colleagues now, like real cool about it. And she was pure like, so funny and then like I was mortified and I was like Denise I can't believe you told her like the whole story about how I loved her and she was like but she loves it it's fine and I was like I'm mortified I'm actually mortified and then about an hour later I was down in the newsroom and I was on my computer and she had a page of senpai and she didn't even look at me she just went here she is now my new best friend <laughs> oh my god that is the most dear Joe Kane line I love it oh like, it was so funny I was like I love this woman like she's brilliant I just love her she's phenomenal and now you're pals for life yes I mean, yeah, I hope so. I feel like she's like, who is our king? But I still love her, so. <laughs> okay, finally, Zara, your best or worst joke? Okay, um, so this is not an original. This is my cousin's child who's written this joke for me. I'm sorry, I know you're like, sorry, this is meant to be your own joke. <laughs> but this is very, this is very funny person's child. It's very, very funny. Okay, hold on. So he says, an American tourist was traveling around Ireland and ended up in Dublin in a church. There was a telephone in the church and there was a sign on it saying to speak to God, it will be 40 euro. As he traveled around the country, he visited many churches, each with a phone and with a sign that said, speak to God, it will be 40 euro. Eventually, he walked into a church in Cork. And as he walked in, he met the priest standing next to the phone booth inside the church. There was a sign on the phone that said to speak to God, it will be 20 cents. The tourist said to the priest, every church I've been to, you've had to pay 40 euro to talk to God. Why is it only 20 cents in Cork? The priest turned with a smile and said, 
Sure, there's only a local call here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. The child is from Cork. The child is from Cork. I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, Clara King, oh. I have to sincerely thank you for taking, uh, what is it, maybe 50 minutes out of your 18 hour day to have thank the chat you. with me and for sharing with me the last of your life. Thank you, Darren, and thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Laughs of Your Life podcast with Zara King. I hope you enjoyed it. Lots more great episodes to come this season. I know I say it every week, but I, I truly mean it. So don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and is brought to you by Aussie Hair. Great hair, no worries. Mm-hmm.